This episode was recorded on the evening of Monday, May 25th in Vancouver. On that same day in Minneapolis, Minnesota, George Floyd was held down on the road beside a police cruiser by police officers. One of the officers knelt on Floyd's neck for almost nine minutes, even though Floyd was saying that he could not breathe. He continued kneeling on his neck for three minutes after Floyd stopped breathing. The police officer, now ex-officer, has been charged with third-degree murder. The three other officers, who at the scene also held Floyd down for a time, and then later did nothing to get their partner off of Floyd's neck, they have not yet been charged. It's Sunday evening as I record this message, almost a week after we recorded the episode. Many cities in the United States are experiencing great unrest, protests, and violence. It can be tough to listen to an episode like this in light of such terrible events, and as we witness the anger justified as it is in the United States. As you listen, don't neglect to remember that as we speak about good in the world, there are very many people who are suffering at little or no fault of their own. You may have rights that others do not have. You may not be afraid of the police. The truth is, though, that some people have to be afraid of the police. The crime that George Floyd was accused of committing was trying to pass a fake $20 bill as payment in a store. In the episode, we speak about an encounter in Central Park that happened a few days before George Floyd's death. An encounter between a white woman walking her dog and an African-American man who asked her to put the dog on a leash according to the rules of the area in the park. She threatened the man that she would call the police and say that an African-American man was assaulting her. She knew what she was doing. She knew that justice worked differently for her than it did for him. For this racist act, the woman would lose her dog, have to give her dog up. She lost her job. She apologized, saying that she was not racist. I can accept that she was sorry but I can't accept that she was not racist. In fact, saying I am not racist is a statement of ignorance. We should, each of us, consider how our view of the world has sometimes been shaped by racist attitudes or views. Days after we recorded the episode, we heard about George Floyd's death. Perhaps we'll hear the ex-officer declare that he is not racist. As hosts, it's a bit hard for us to listen to this episode after the fact. Some things, even to us, sound tone deaf. We're reminded that suffering in the world goes on even now, right now. And we long for a more equitable future. Most events of racism, oppression, state-sponsored violence, and the like do not make the news. Our suggestion is to listen to this episode and to note at least two things. Firstly, how quickly a topic can seem timely or not timely at all. If people are basically good, not evil, how are we to make sense of the actions of such a police officer? Secondly, what it might mean to make sense of the wrong in the world and how the status quo so obviously does not mean equality or freedom for so many people. If we are indeed living in a time of great upheaval and change, may that change mean that people don't die like George Floyd died last Monday.
justice that is not justice for everyone is not really justice at all. So welcome to Rector's Cupboard. This is a hosts only edition. Uh, we've had some great episodes lately and glad to see that a number of people are listening. And so this evening, we're just going to spend a little, little, little bit of time talking about some things that might set us up for future episodes. That would include um, some upcoming episodes talking about, well, all things around fear and division and looking at ways that are better than fear and division. Some really big guests coming up, but we'll maybe, maybe tell you more about that a little bit later. Um, tonight, we're joined by a host. We've got Ken Bell, our, uh, our cupboard master. Good evening. Good evening, Ken. We've got Amanda Mina, who is on an island somewhere. Uh, streaming of beaches still. Streaming in beaches with <laughs> giant shells behind you. They're this just absolutely giant conches. Right? But we'll get into that yes. a little bit later. Is there a name of the island? No. No. Okay. We'll tell you a little bit of the story of the island later. And Allison Williams is joining us as well. Already started the tasting, Allison has. Even though, yes, in all truthfulness, so I know. unusual. <laughs> so, um, we're well, welcome everybody. Uh, I thought maybe we'd start with some kind of current events. We're, we're deep, deep, deep now into the COVID pandemic time, so much so that people are talking about opening up already. We've all mm -hmm. been watching the news, we've all been following the stories. We're here in British Columbia, all four of us are in well, the Vancouver area in BC, and you know, we're one of those places in the world that's done better than almost anywhere. And so uh, as we talk about opening up, that might mean something different than, you know, another place like um, Montreal or, or something or somewhere in another country that, so what generally have you guys heard or what have you noted about the reopening? Have you been anywhere? Well, I guess I could say I have a confession because oh. it's probably a little bit unpopular. I went to the dentist today. Oh, but you were allowed. Yeah. I know, but you know, it's one of those things that I chose not to tell a ton of people, although now yeah. everybody knows. <laughs> um, All 20 but, uh, a bit, know. a bit unpopular um, to, despite being open, it's, it's one of those kind of contentious things, but you know, it was such a great experience. Honestly, um, the doors were locked. You have to be admitted in full PPE. Um, it's treated well, I think. So, um, yeah, things are opening, but it, it feels it feels different. I mean, they handed me a mask the second I walked through the door. Yeah. So I wore a mask and, and went through a series of questions um, and wore it right until they were ready to descale my teeth. And then did they keep sticking <laughs> that suction thing in your mouth? And mm -hmm. yeah, Look, that, they sterilized those before COVID, just to be clear. Yeah, I would say that part of the business hasn't changed. <laughs> but I hope not. Extremely dirty. Oh, my... <laughs> Dentists, are you going to die? <laughs> oh, no, never mind. My, my, <laughs> Don't name them. My expensive. son went to the dentist twice last week, Amanda. So that's oh, you know, he beat uh, me twice. Yeah, um, but I uh, and I want to note it's been ten weeks exactly since the last time we were actually together, at least the three of us, recording a podcast live. Oh wow, that It'll was a different today. world. Um, a different but. Time. But uh, a couple of us went out to uh, a local brewery that we have recorded at in the past, Wild Eye. Uh, for One a of a couple of us week. was me, right? Uh, you, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, you remember that. Uh, but my big adventure this week is I've actually been to the emergency room at the hospital twice this week uh, uh, to take yeah. someone, not for myself. And that was a very interesting experience because they, 
didn't want to let me in at first because I wasn't the one who was sick until they realized that I needed to be in there with the person. Um, but it was super quiet. Like we were in the <laughs> first aid room yesterday for like three and a half hours, almost four hours. And we were the, the person. Did you just there. find a person? Who's this person? No. <laughs> I just walked around how I found it's a weird story if that was like your wife and they're like no you're maybe there are confidentiality <laughs> issues that he would prefer to not necessarily be just hang around the emergency room and go in with a person just wanted to go because anyway, that's where people would like to just hang out but there yeah you had, you got handed a mask right away and uh, so that was interesting so those have been my travels pubs and or a, a brewery and a hospital now we talk a lot about um matters of faith and maybe moving forward in terms of more hopeful expressions of uh, particularly for us Christian faith. So part of the conversation of reopening around here, but I think it, the ringing is louder from the United States, is the reopening of churches. Have you followed any stories of this at all? And what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I've been part of uh, some conversations for for an, another position that I, I have. And there's, I've seen a spectrum of, of people who are, have made the decision that they're going to be like, well, we've, we've invested quite a bit of time and infrastructure into getting like virtual services up and running. And we don't see a need to really push until probably about the fall that gives us time to properly figure out the logistics. And then I've also seen a friend's church that has opened up this past Sunday and put out quite the video explaining everything it was gold Um, so this was a video on facebook i I imagine yes i watched it and Um, i mean what i i was grateful for the fact that they they were taking things very seriously there there was i was also grateful for the fact that uh i'm not currently needing to be somebody who might be making those videos Will or we be allowed to to put that in episode notes or no that's too close I'm to gonna home. say maybe let's not oh, it's the best so for those who don't see it it's it's a it's a pastor and <clears throat> you could tell like it's gonna be better when it's just the pastor and then the first name so like you know pastor Ken it's like, pastor Ken here explaining to you how we're gonna open up on Sunday and it's like 12 minutes long and from beginning to end it is satirical gold the little stickers they have on the floor this is gonna give it away and I'm going to do this the little stickers on the floor the social distancing stickers say stand here like if you're lined up for pre-packaged coffee or something they have but it doesn't here, stop there Jesus stand All here trust stickers Jesus. Is fantastic and there's just thing after thing like that the guy talks for about a minute and a half about the debate they had on whether you would pump your own hand sanitizer or somebody would pump it for you. <laughs> and then yeah. That's always a good question to ask. Yeah, let's leave that there. It's the um, best. fantastic, but we won't link it because anyway, but I don't know how you, how you, I think that that there, there's been quite a, and you hear things coming out of the States uh, where, you know, uh, people trying to claim churches as essential services and I, I don't you think uh, come down on that Sunday? side of the argument. You think Donald Trump went to church on Sunday? He went to his church on Sunday. He had 18. He had 18. Well, was Saturday. Oh, was that it's, Saturday? It's Saturday that, or Friday that he said, like, they're going to open up because some people say liquor stores and abortion clinics are essential, but churches are just as essential. And, and yeah, there's something in the States, this kind of like my rights that is interesting with the, with the churches opening up and kind of this, this oppositional, and that's what we want to talk a little bit, a bit, a little bit after the tasting is this kind of fear and division that can happen. Like, um, I, I don't see it up here as much, but but down there, 
there is this like our governor's not going to tell us we can't meet and we're going to go and there's like multiple pastors who've gotten covid and multiple pastors who've died yeah yeah there are lots of stories that are coming out now in the news like they're citable that there are churches that reopened and then there was a surge or an outbreak within that community and they had to close again yeah yeah and i heard like they they were complaining one of the complaints i heard i was watching fox news for a few minutes um i try to do that fairly regularly and uh they had some christian leader on and he was talking about no government's going to tell us we can't and then he said you know what they did recently they told us they being probably a democratic governor right or a republican governor or whatever they told us that you know we can't meet with too many people and we can and we're not allowed to sing now they're trying to tell us how to worship Right. They're telling you that singing spreads COVID. <laughs> uh, yeah, so there, there's part where where it seems like there there's some common sense that has been removed from from some conversations. And and there's part where I I don't think many governors are taking glee and you know pleasure in saying don't do this, don't do this. They're literally like, dude, we are in the middle of a pandemic please don't sing it spreads droplets please we're i'm i'm having a meeting with um i think probably now about 15 church leaders uh on wednesday uh just to have a conversation about this but i read this today and it's short so i'll just read it out it's from the bishop elect of the episcopal diocese of missouri uh soon to be bishop dion johnson and he says this the work of the church is essential The work of caring for the lonely, the marginalized, the oppressed is essential. The work of speaking truth to power and seeking justice is essential. The work of being a loving, liberating, and life-giving presence in the world is essential. The work of welcoming the stranger, the refugee, and the undocumented is essential. The work of reconciliation and healing and caring is essential. The church does not need to open because the church never closed. We who make up the body of Christ, the church, love God and our neighbors and ourselves so much that we will stay away from our buildings until it is safe. We are the church. Amen to that. Amen. And and I would totally agree. The church is essential. Gathering for worship and communion and to hear a sermon is not. That's just an aspect of what a church does, but it's not what the church is. um, I've been interested in how polarized it's become, right? So that down there, down in the States particularly. So you have this assumption on the part of some of these churches that, you know, whoever's against them or is telling them these regulations must be kind of godless or something. And I think there'd be a number of these governors, there'd be a number of these people that are Christian as well, or maybe a different faith. Well, or something. And frankly, or, maybe motivated from their faith. Right. And, and yet the idea be is- Asking some of these restrictions. Yeah. If you're telling me something that I don't agree with, you must be on the other side. And if you're on the other side, you must not be, you must not be a Christian or something. And so the polarization is amazing. One of the other things we've seen the polarization in, again, more down there than here, um, but probably here a little bit, is over the issue of masks. That's uh, been interesting because yeah. people are like, you, you can't force me to do this. You can't. And they're like, it, I'm like, dude, it, it's a mask. I wonder if they put up the same resistance with like seatbelts. Maybe. You know, you can't force me to wear a seatbelt. You can't force me to wear a helmet. But it's it's for your own safety and the safety of others. It does feel like the topic for several years has just been about my rights, right? My right to carry yeah. arms, my right to do this, my right to do that. And it's 
this torch that people have decided to carry. And now this is just another thing to grasp onto. But you um, never thought it would be about this kind of thing. Like, no. Well, I mean, no. there's literally, it's absurd. There have been like cases where security guards have been shot over this, where they have been like beaten and assaulted because they have been trying to enforce they like ask somebody to put on a mask or they say you can't or there, there's the other side that i read about as well right that um some stores are refusing to serve customers if they are wearing a mask yeah. i have seen that as well it's this one bizarre. Of, yeah one like, of my staff actually i have to be super like <laughs> clear in how i'm speaking it because i can't even believe it as i'm saying it right that like you're not welcome here if you wear a mask um, I was speaking to someone today who uh, had gone to purchase a bottle of wine and was asked three times within the store to take her mask off because they hand, she handed her ID and then uh, this was in another province, but it was in Canada. Um, she handed her ID Alberta. and they said, well, we can't, no, interestingly, okay, so uh, we can't tell that <laughs> it's just you. narrow it down. <laughs> Process of elimination. You have a few <laughs> more provinces to go. We can't um, tell it's you. They, they can't tell that it's you. So they asked her to remove her mask. So she did. And they said, okay, fine. And so they let her into the store. That was just to get in. And then she went and picked out whatever it was she was looking for, got a bottle of wine, went to check out. Um, and same thing again and said, we can't complete this transaction until you take your mask off. And she actually pushed a little bit and said, doesn't that defeat the purpose of everything we're doing here? Um, yeah, which but, law trumps which law? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And don't you trust the guy at the door who just let me in? No. I guess not. No. <laughs> right? Yeah. They may be having a time where they're having conflicting regulations where if there's like mandated from their province that you must check this and they don't. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But yeah. still, like, you would have thought checking it once. It's like going to the airport when they check your ID four times. Like at what point did I become a different person once I entered the airport? Once I passed- You never know, Ken. Four seasons in one day. There's a, <laughs> there's a um, quote from Marilyn Robinson. We're going to talk about Marilyn Robinson a little bit after the tasting. But one of the quotes she has in a book, I think this is called, What Are We Doing Here? is the name of the book, a collection of essays. And this would have been written, I don't know how old this is, a couple years old, but it certainly is pre-pandemic time, right? Pre our current pandemic. She says, and I think of this with masks. Uh, she says, a, a society is moving towards dangerous ground when loyalty to the truth is seen as disloyalty to some higher interest. In other words, it doesn't even matter if something is objectively entirely true. If it doesn't fit my side, yeah, then then I'm gonna side against the truth. And and I didn't, you know, I didn't know that I think I think I knew that we lived in a world that was like that in some regard. I didn't know it was as stark. And I didn't know, frankly, that some of those divisions would be around the faith that I share. That that right. it would be people who you know, supposedly, and I, I I'm not questioning that. The people who share that faith who are just like, I don't, I don't care about the truth. Um, um, this is my tribe and that's, that's where I'm going. So we're going to talk about some of that fear and division a little bit, but we got the tasting, right? Yes. So I, I'm not allowed to drink my wine. You are. So we don't ruin the surprise. Now you have to drink it. Um, so I thought we'd do something a little bit different. Please. We're going to do a wine tasting. Uh, and it's a rosé. Now, rosé has uh, it's become increasingly popular over the last bunch of years. Uh, it's a great wine to drink in the is summer. Wine a rosé, Ken? Is it? Mm -hmm. It's a real wine still, or is it for yes. wine for people who can't drink wine? No, no. It's, it actually, 
uh, it actually outsells white wine in places like Italy and France. Oh. Uh, one of the biggest growing areas of rosé is uh, Provence, where I was a couple of years ago, and it's everywhere. Um, it's usually drunk in the summer because it's fairly light, uh, and you can um, mix it with other stuff. So you can have it not just as a wine, but I've actually added to mine a little soda and um, some so, citrus, in my case, okay, so orange. You can try it straight first. You can try it straight first. And where rosé comes from is it is a red, red grape. Uh, they juice it and the juice runs clear. And then they leave, the, they leave it with the uh, skins, macerate it. Uh, for a very short period of time, two or three days, just until the hue becomes the pink that they want, and then they remove the remove it from the skin. So that's why you get this light color. Some people think, oh, they've just mixed red and white wine together, and that's not true. It's actually red wine, but the grape, the skin, it hasn't been in the skins as long. So this particular one is uh, a BC rosé from the Okanagan Valley uh, called um, Diabolica which I just saw it with a little picture of a devil on it. It's called Devilishly Pink. Uh, it's another tribe, it's, Ken. And I just thought it was an appropriate one to, 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 for us to try. The so go ahead, take a taste of it. What do, you, what do you think of it? What do you taste when you, when you taste it? Everyone's tasting now, so they can't talk well, now. I, it, it's very, I mean, tangy, kind of like, like acidic, but like not in a... Like, not in a bad way. It's just, it's very bright. Yep. Yep. Which is exactly why it pairs well with if you have, uh, people add it to Sprite or 7-Up or some sort of light light citrus sort of um, uh, bubbly water. Like, if you have a Perrier lemon sort just of thing. Soda? I, have, I have soda and I have tonic water here with me. Should I try it with both? Uh, yeah, it probably goes a bit better with the club soda, but you can try it with a tonic. Um, and that's just called a spritzer, um, which aren't uncommon, but rosé, it's a great hot summer drink. You don't want to be drinking, uh, like in Italy and Spain, as they say in France, it gets so hot in the, it, during the day that up until dinner's not served till nine o'clock. So this is sort of the type of thing they drink anytime after two or three in the afternoon, up until about six. It's nice, it's light, it's great in hot weather. And so that's why we thought we'd try the rosé. BC is well known for their rosés. They, they play well. This particular one, I thought the, um, the bottle was beautiful. Yeah. And the picture of the devil is fantastic. The devil looks great. Yeah. And, and did you guys notice when you opened it, it's a screw top. Yes. Yeah. But didn't it feel great? It did. It did have it's a nice feel to it. No, like there's definitely been yeah, attention solid. to the design, yeah. mm -hmm. which is always nice. Yeah. But, but, but the devil does really look good. Looks kind of fun. I love the color of it. Like it just makes me want to be on a warm patio. Yep. Yes, if only. Right? Yeah. At uh, some point this summer, that's with what With a we'll couple get. of friends and mm -hmm. maybe a little cheese a little, plate or some charcuterie. A little um, social distance backyard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Drinking. So anyway, so that's our, that's our drink. Enjoy it. Uh, play around with rosés this summer. Try it with some, uh, in some mixes and some cocktails. Nothing. And, uh, is this just me speaking, or it seems to me like you could consume this drink more quickly? Yes, than other wines. Is than a red, than a heavy red wine. Yes, okay. it's not heavy Rose, at all. Drinks easy. Go down very, very quickly, smoothly, because they're crisp, but they do have some flavor to them. But they're not heavy tasting, and they're not overly sweet. You can get sweet no. rosés, uh, like things that are almost sickingly sweet. 
Um, but generally speaking, rosés are can be are now are, are a bit drier. Um, so they're not like some of the sweet white wines. It's so. good. I like it. It's, it's lovely. I'm a bit, yeah, I'm a bit biased because my parents come from the region that these grapes are grown. But like Ken said, there are a lot of very nice rosés from that. Yeah. From that yep. area so okanagan wines are well, definitely and yeah. you would recommend this one correct amanda absolutely and yeah. now i have one wine and devil related for the three of you has this ever does this is this just me or when you when you're in a store a, a liquor store buying wine there's a lot of wines that have like the devil kind of imagery they play with a little bit um mm -hmm. there's chilean wines that do this is a bc wine this is does, is that what, what do you ever go like oh, i guess i shouldn't buy that one it's the devil one no yeah, no maybe no. the opposite <laughs> <laughs> i bought like, this one on purpose for our group yeah i don't think anybody should make light of the devil. Well, and there's there's the winery in bc uh blasted church which makes mm -hmm. fun of a lot of sort of religious sacramental sort of things i mean they're lighthearted about it but it's, they're yeah their winery actually sits on a spot where a church once sat in that's right the, there was an explosion in the church oh, structure sorry, sorry, sorry. itself, so it actually is <laughs> a little on the nose, maybe. Yeah. Um, really church, yeah. All right. Well, I'll try to shake that that like mild guilt feeling I have that I that I won't. Is buy that it. your evangelicalism still holding on? I think it depends on who's over, right? Like if I'm buying wine and it's like, oh, those people are a little bit more religious, <laughs> better not buy the devil wine, or you know, they'll think I'm just trying to be clever or something like that. So, anyway, I'm really feeling free from it already. So thank you, Ken. Absolutely. All right. Because so I do think the devil looks great. Let's. Man. Well, speak, but this this does bring us into the conversation we want to talk about, which is fear. Uh, what people are fearful of, how fear drives a lot of our emotions and beliefs, whether it's about uh, our faith and church or even about COVID and the way the world should be, whether we should wear masks, are we succumbing to fear? And of course, one of the big fears uh, in the Christian world is fear of the devil, fear of hell. So it's an well, appropriate... Have, it, it isn't that long ago, you know, so within, within centuries ago, but even still in parts of the world... Um, and for some people in, in their faith, whatever that faith might be, that if something had even an image of, even a playful image of the devil on it, you would like, don't do that. Like that there's some kind of power in that or something. Oh yeah, that 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 might've been like my grandparents and okay. stuff and my mom to a degree. And like, we weren't, I remember she wanted to buy wine once when I was younger. Like we never had alcohol ever in the house. She wanted to buy wine once for like spaghetti sauce and it was like this big deal. And it was like this almost like guilt-ridden thing. We, we're working on it. <laughs> but I mean, like, alcohol come was a long a way. starter in our house when I was growing up. So, and like alcohol with like a devil on it would have, whoa, not been okay. Well, look um, at how well, the Christian world reacted to Harry Potter. I was just yeah. going to say, I know yeah. people who didn't want to let their kids read Harry Potter because of the magicians and the spells and the dark arts. Yeah, and a fear that if you read that, it's going to lure you away from the mm -hmm. good shepherd. Like this is a uh, someone prowling around, just trying to lure you away, pull you away from the faith. And we Which don't I really believe- is doing that for me kind of a little right? bit. Right? We don't really believe that you can lose your salvation. <laughs> would have known you would have been so easily swayed. <laughs> it, it, but at the same time, we believe that people can be easily swayed and pulled away from the faith. And now they're condemned to hell for all eternity because they bought a book with the devil on it or and they dropped off a Marilyn Manson. Jose. Okay. So we're going to move to our more serious conversation now, which is, um, I thought that was serious. <laughs> it, it was getting there. Okay. Do, you guys, do you guys remember Lord of the Flies? 
Unfortunately. Oh, yes. You all had to read it. Even young Allison had to read it. Mm-hmm. Hey, I don't like the implication there. That's just like, that sounded weird. Well, I just, I was trying, I was trying to shorten it. The, the, um, so this is a book that, I don't know what grade did we have to read it in? Grade Early. 10. It was grade 10 for me. Oh, okay. I don't remember. I was thinking Sometime grade. in high school. Yeah. Mr. Hunt was my teacher. You remember the teacher? Oh goodness, I don't know. He was awesome. I, I had him grade 10, 11, and 12. So uh, yeah, somebody who knows, teacher. tell me briefly, briefly, what's Lord of the Flies about? Amanda? Oh, uh, small boys who are stranded on an island and quickly descend into chaos. I mean, that's the brief yeah. version of it. But, yeah. um, but, There's people. Yeah, there. yeah. And, you know, they really hammer down on the message of uh, good versus evil. And when given the option, being bad is going to prevail. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> we don't necessarily think this at the time, but we can think it later and now maybe. Why would a book like that be chosen for a you know a teenager, a young teenager to to read? There might be some literary value, I would imagine. Well, I, I kind of wonder with my my rather conservative uh, private school that I went to whether they were really seeking to hammer in the moral of like. Oh, so you read it in a Christian school. I did. Oh, because we read it in public school, the rest of us, right? Yeah. Like, I, like in retrospect, like, I've been thinking about this being, like, did they want to make sure, like, I don't know whether it was, like, a required reading, because it seems pretty standard. But also, I'm like, that would have played well into the whole, like, let's make sure these people understand that they are really deprived. With some kind of control or something like that. Well, okay, so yeah, it's, it's, it's it definitely, it's definitely got Calvinist overtones to it the total depravity of the human condition original sin that we yeah. are we are in our very nature the first thing we know about humanity is humanity is sinful that we will side with evil before we side with good that's the message that is being sent so that's the perfect setup for what i wanted to talk about this was an article that i saw about a book that's coming out it's out in the uk now it's called humankind but it's uh, coming out in Canada and the United States on June 2nd, so not long from now. And it's by a Dutch writer um, named Rutger Bregman. And what Bregman has done, and he apparently has a, a previous books on similar themes, is he's looked into, so he uses Lord of the Flies as an example, or he or reacts to it. Um, and he basically says this idea that people descend into chaos and incivility and you know hatred and whatever else, um, is actually not that true. And then he cites a case in um, he cites a case in 1965 or something. So Golding wrote this book in 1954, but there was an actual case in the 60s, early 60s, sometime when uh, a number of young men did get stranded on an island, like it happened mm -hmm. in real life. And not only did it not descend into chaos, but the opposite happened. Uh, they formed a government of some kind. They formed an order and structure, and they helped to take care of one another until they were rescued. Which was apparently there was a, it was a lengthy time in, until they were. It was fifteen months. Fifteen months was wow. it? Fifteen months. There's there's another article written by the same author that was in the Guardian, um, and it's a quick piece. We can we can throw that in the notes as well. But yeah. um, these young boys. We're shipwrecked for 15 months. And there's actually a quote that says, our secret superpower is our ability to cooperate, which is wow. entirely counter to Lord of the Flies. 
Yeah. Well, is it is it counter to like we're talking about trying to talk in, in general in this podcast about more hopeful views of faith? If we give up the idea of some kind of, you know, we're all at heart terrible, um, do we give up faith? I, I mean, I don't think that we do. I, I don't but, think one one necessitates the other. I think that um particularly the strain of of Christianity that I grew up in, which I would say is evangelical, quite fundamental, uh, fundamentalist. Um, that was tied very close in, but I think a lot of that had to do with, with control and with power more than with faith. Well, and a reason for being, if, if everyone is already good, if everyone is in their nature, yeah, good, don't have to fix them. then we don't have to fix them. We don't have to save them. We don't have to tell them the good news that Jesus can save them from themselves, from hell, from suffering, from being horrible, evil people. Um, so what the heck is then the purpose of the church? Why is it essential? And so I think there's a, there's a level to which we, we argue that in order to justify the existence of the organization that we are a part of. But there might be a way to say, well, from a, from a faith perspective, you could argue that the reason they collaborated, those young guys, the reason that is because, and so I would say from a Christian perspective, because we're all created in the image of God and we can be good to one another. We can, we can uh, take up self-sacrifice on behalf of the other, even if it costs us and doesn't get us anything. Um, and that these are actually reflections of the character of God. That, so I think, you know, it's true. I, I had some similar things in, in understanding Christian faith that, that, you know, in a sense starts with this depravity before you get even to Jesus. And I think that, that these studies help us to see, well, maybe we should think about the world differently, but maybe we should also think about how we communicate faith differently. Bregman does another interesting thing though, that not just, I don't know how much he directly speaks about religious matters, but it's not only kind of uh, some religious understanding that he would speak against with his thesis. It's also, he speaks against some of the conclusions of neo-atheists like Richard Dawkins and others who yeah. say, um, well, in a state of nature, and speaking philosophically, a state of nature, we're all savage. And it was the, the state, like government and people organizing, coming along, uh, organ, organizing us out of our savagery. And so then what's elevated is human reason. So that yeah. people in their natural state are savage, and it's only reason and reasonableness that gets us to the So break. instead of Jesus makes you good, civilization makes you good. Enlightenment, right. yeah. And Bregman's going to speak about against that too. So I think it's just really interesting to, to think about, even in light of some of the things we were just talking about, in well, how you relate to the other, right? I mean, I, there's a part of me that when I read that, and when I, when I think of Golding's book too, um, that we just, just talked about, one of the trigger issues there is is fear. The boys actually got along, if I remember the book correctly. Until uh, a certain point. Until there was something to fear, right? And if I remember correctly, at first it was the pig, right? They didn't know what the noise was in the in the uh, outside in the jungle and stuff like that. Uh, and then they began to fear uh, some of the other children, right? So someone organized. There's something to fear. There's something to be against. They did start fighting pretty early on, though, because they one guy, you know, rose above and was kind of the leader. Um, and they had a couple of things that they wanted to accomplish and one was to start a fire. And they all agreed that they needed to keep the fire going because that's what would get them. Oh, that's right. um, 
some help. And the first night, they all fell asleep and the fire went out. And apparent, right. and there was violence immediately after that. And they could blame someone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. So and, it was and, like scapegoating. I mean, we talked about it in the in the Kevin Miller episode that yeah. that mm-hmm. recently. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there. I I I feel almost a bit like I kind of want to um, also state that like clearly humanity is capable of great evil. Absolutely. Um, I think think no one can really debate that. Mm -hmm. Um, There, like the length to which like people can hurt other humans or other creation is disturbing to certain levels. But I do think that that generally is, the exception, not the rule. Mm-hmm. Well, when you think about it, most of your interactions with other human beings, the vast majority of them are positive. Yeah. All of us yeah. went to school for whatever it is, 263 days a year for 12 plus years, and not a lot of school shootings happen. Even in the States, the vast majority of the time you go to school and nothing happens. No one gets kidnapped. No one gets killed. You go to the grocery store. No one starts a brawl. You go to a movie theater. No one starts shooting you. The vast majority of the time, our interaction with other human beings is actually positive. Um, And so the question becomes, do we need someone to lead us to be good or do we need someone to lead us to be not good? And what the, the biblical narrative is, when you consider uh, the, the temptation story, is the, the story is saying, no, we actually need someone to lead us into temptation, to deceive us, to instill a fear, a fear that God is not good, God is not loving, God will not sustain you. And it's that fear that then causes us to become selfish. But and is, it a bit, is it a bit naive as well, though, to think, Oh, everybody's just basically good, and and if I, I just need to think about the good in the other person and all. So I'll give you a really kind of inane example. I I, as you guys know, ride my bike all the time, and and there's this habit that some cyclists have. Just to gross you out, I won't make any sense. Oh no, Todd, don't do this. Yeah, and there's this habit that some cyclists have. I'm going to talk about it. Right, Ken's just showed us how. We're, I'm already grossed out. I don't do this. I'm I'm not one of these people. So here I'm going to be divis- divisive, right? And they and they and they close one of their nostrils and they blow. So it's like I guess clear. Yeah, yeah. I have and a much less well, great example. I'm riding my bike yesterday around Stanley Park, and a guy passes me. He's a good cyclist, and and he's got a KPMG bike jersey on. I'm going to say that just in case. And um, I don't know, maybe a nice guy, and maybe I should think the best of him. But then, not long after he passes me, he does the nostril thing. And so, so that's your litmus test. He's blowing snot out of his face, which I think at the best of times is a terrible thing to do. Like if there was no pandemic, I still think that's gross, right? But this guy is blowing snot out of his nose during a pandemic. Maybe he has a sinus condition. But can't I just say, no, that guy's terrible? <laughs> no. That is it's, why? No. Are, are you seeking our permission to just blatantly yeah, write but, someone off? Yeah, I'm oh. just saying. I have a much more like less gross like litmus test if you're looking for it. It's like the shopping cart test. Okay. Do you return your shopping cart or do you not? Because yeah, that doesn't you're always, a terrible person. I always return it. Terrible person. Yes. Well, I mean, I always return mine and I usually return others that I see around that people have abandoned. So you're oh, an you extra go the extra person. mile. But didn't yeah. they used to, you had to put a quarter in or a loony or something? Yeah. Some places. They, they got rid of that. They most got rid of that. Got rid and of why would they get rid of that? Because most people return it, I guess. No, they got rid of it because yeah. they realized 
Um, this is actually not treating our customers well. We're treating them with the suspicion that most people are going to be horrible and we need to treat our customers with the belief that most of them are going to be good. So that's why they actually well, got on our theme. So, okay, last thing I want to talk about then is, and you guys can add anything else you want to talk about too, but is, um, is fear. Because I think, you know, other than obviously some terrible, horrible people who who do that cycling thing I told you about, who just, there's nothing redeeming. They're, they're barely human. Other than that, like the div divisiveness comes, as Ken was talking about, we attach our fears onto the other. Yeah. And so the way to explain bad things in the world is the other. So uh, one of the best contemporary writers and often writing from a faith perspective on that is uh, Marilyn Robinson, and we quoted her earlier, I quoted her earlier. She has a book called The Givenness of Things, and in that book, there's an essay or a chapter called Fear. It gets fairly involved in the in the chapter, but she is someone who has a Christian faith, but it, it wouldn't be described as a fundamentalist Christian faith. Um, but some of the things she says about fear in this chapter are, are just fantastic. Uh, oh my goodness, so good. She describes the United States, this book's now a few years old, and she describes the United States as full of fear and that this fear is going to lead to some really terrible, difficult things, potentially. I mean, she's not an alarmist or anything like that, but she's just kind of asking where it's going to where it's going to lead. And so she says something succinct like this. First, contemporary America is full of fear. And second, fear is not a Christian habit of mind. In other words, Christians should be people who aren't filled with and motivated by fear. Um, and then she talks about this, I think we may have mentioned this on other episodes, but she talks about the book of Leviticus in the 26th chapter. Yeah. There's a, there's a warning to the people from God. And the warning is that if you forget me, basically, God is saying, you'll become so full of fear that you'll be, and here's the, well, I'll read the quote. In the 26th chapter of Leviticus, we find a description of the state of the people uh, that, that the people of Israel will find themselves in if they depart from their loyalty to God. And here's the quote from, from Leviticus. The sound of a driven leaf shall put them to flight, and they shall flee as one flees from the sword, and they shall fall when none pursues. They shall stumble over one another, as if to escape a sword, though none pursues. And, you know, you look at what fear does and some of the things we talked about early, and you can just see this stumbling over one another. She gets a bit humorous after that. She says, now, of course, there are numbers among us who have weapons that would blast that leaf to, to atoms and feel brave as they did it, confirmed in their alarm by the fact that there are so very many leaves. And so just <laughs> kind of talking about, uh, but I, you know, I, I don't know how many people you've read or if you read any of this chapter and and thought about kind of what fear does what do you guys think i think fear is a huge motivator huge yeah. huge huge fear of not having enough not having not being enough not being able to provide for your family keep them safe um fear of hell what the afterlife might be whether you've done whatever um you need to do on your checklist to do that and it, it becomes um, she, she talks later in the chapter saying, uh, fear operates as an appetite or an addiction. You can never be safe enough. Yeah, and it's one of those things yes. where it's like, it's never satiated. Yeah. Gun sales stimulate gun sales. Yeah. Because yeah. there must be something to be afraid of if everyone has a gun. I, you know, it's, we, all of us 
tend to catastrophize everything. But our culture does as well, right? We're inundated with it every day in the news. There is always something new to be afraid of. We're in the middle of a pandemic, and Where that's not enough. There should be murder hornets as well, and we should really freak out about them. And yet, they are actually they are actually terrifying, but they're not going to kill us. They're actually going to go after a bee population, and that is terrible. But yeah. but um, and that could it, kill us. There is an alarmist. Our clickbait yeah. culture feeds yeah. into this, right? We are all about headlines and nothing more. Facebook feeds into that with really big, splashy headlines that maybe don't even have anything to do with the actual piece itself. And right. very few people click through it to read it. Um, and then those things just propagate and they, they get shared. So immediately fear is just stoked over and over again. Um, well, and our culture stokes that fear. Yeah. And you can get, uh, she mentions it later, but I was thinking about it before that like you can get a very close bond with someone if you can like have the same enemy. Yeah. Like it, mm-hmm. it draws people together like nothing else almost. Yeah. I actually people highlighted that. Go after. What did she say? Some pretty intense bonding goes on, yeah. swapping fears around a campfire as a Girl Scout can testify. Yeah. Right? And, and that piece, that yeah. little line made me think a little bit actually of like youth culture in, in the 90s and growing up as a teenager and really <laughs> the whole thing about coming to Christ and, and putting your hand up was in fear. I um, cannot tell you how many times at like church camp I like rededicated because I was like, I don't know if I've done it well enough. Or I just didn't do it right the first time, so yeah. I better do it this time. Yeah, So much fear around it. Mm-hmm. Well, and the fear is very rooted in us. And again, it happens in the, uh, in Genesis three, but it's the same fear. It's the same temptation to fear that the devil or the accuser or the deceiver brings, uh, in the, um, narrative with Jesus in the, in the, in the desert. It's a fear leaning towards threatening your security or survival, your affection or esteem so that you are not loved and power and control. You don't have authority or power over things. And it's the same three fears that both happen in the garden and they happen again in the in the desert with, with Jesus. And those are the same fears that people use to control us. The, the institutes or the institutions and civil government uh, use to guide and direct us. And so does the church to say, it's here's, here's these fears. It like, you know... <laughs> We, people can kind of laugh at preppers and stuff, you know, people who save up you know, until there's something like a pandemic. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> They're justified. Um, but well, you know, like this bucket <laughs> of like pancake mix will last me for the next four years. Yeah, that's true. But we can still go to the grocery store. Thank you, Jim Baker. The, um, the, like in this part of the world, the next thing that's coming apparently is the earthquake, right? Like everybody warned us about the oh. pandemic. They've also warned us about the earthquake. What if the earthquake happened during the pandemic, which of course... Oh. They just had one in New Zealand, like but yesterday. Yeah, on TV. And the prime minister didn't skip a beat because she's no. amazing. She's my superhero. <laughs> the, uh, but I always think, you know, if, 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 if you guys have earthquake kits, of course, those earthquake kits are to share with your neighbors. That's why they exist, right? Right. Because oh. you're not just having an earthquake kit and not helping people in need around you who don't have earthquake kits, I would imagine. Well, I mean, it's for me and my cats. Your the purpose of the earthquake is not to help about, your neighbors. Bregman's <laughs> talking about like people, people when things break down into chaos, actually people help each other. 
for the most part. Right. And I think all I want to do is put that out there and say, there are certainly people in, in the faith tradition that I share who generated interest in faith by the fear motive. And I'm not even saying whether they were right or wrong. It's just, what if there's a better way to talk about faith generated from, no, when there's chaos, people are basically good. Um, and yet we can still talk about the love of God and the, the beauty of creation. And mm-hmm. so, um, but. Well, and, and, or, and if, if our assumption, if our assumption is that the other, whether it's the stranger, the refugee, the person we don't know, the person who has a different skin color or wears slightly different clothes or maybe a veil over their face, maybe they're not a threat. Maybe they're not something to be afraid of. Maybe, maybe they actually are, like if that's our starting place of assuming that probably they are a good person, then I think that radically changes our posture towards other people. It's a change so the way we engage. Did you guys, I'm a bit hesitant to bring this up. I didn't warn you or did you see the, the headline just this afternoon on this woman in Central Park? No. Oh, good. New news for everybody. Oh, oh no. Okay. Happen. Everyone be prepared. There's a term. I didn't know about it. It's called Karening. Am I saying something? Yep. Yes. Yes. I know yes. of. So yeah. I'm the only one in the virtual room that doesn't know what's happening. Oh. Tell us oh. more, Todd. That's because you're not a Karen. Allison, can you tell us what Karening is? Um, Karening generally, uh, I mean, it, it, it's, it's a generalized term uh, for someone generally uh, 30s, 40s, 50s, white woman, short haircut, in sense of large sense of entitlement. Can I speak to your manager sort of thing? Uh, um, you're Karening if you do that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, well, this is uh, Don't be a Karen. Don't be a Karen. Right. Don't you feel sorry for people whose name is Karen then? Yeah. Karen. I feel apologetic. It's a generalization. Right? It's However, if you think of a lot of the Karens, you no, forget yeah, it. Anyways. Terrible people, Karen. <laughs> so the, the um, this particular one, and of course, I just saw a couple reports, so I don't know the facts of the case, right? Because like it's always good to, to start on that point. So there's a video, though, and this woman is with her dog in Central Park. And you, in Central Park, New York, you have to have a leash for your dog. You're not allowed to have. So I guess this guy walks by this woman and the dog is not on a leash and maybe the dog's been out of control. I don't know. And he says to her, this is what the report said, can you put your dog, please, Karen? No, he didn't say that, but can you put your dog on a leash? And she gets mad at him and starts yelling at him. He takes out his phone and starts videoing her. Okay. Mm-hmm. He yeah. says, can you turn off, stop the video? And he's like, no, I won't. And she, and then she says, I'm going to call the police and tell them that an African-American man is. I was going to say, is this gentleman black? This is going to become racial. And so she does. She, 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 she's literally just talking like even less animated than we are right now. She's like, I'll call the police and I'll tell them that that an African-American man is assaulting me. And he's like, oh, I'd like to see that. Go ahead or whatever. Right. And he's filming the whole thing. So they're both now entrenched. Right. Obviously. But. And so then she and her dog's starting to go a bit wild at this point. She's trying to hold it between her feet and stuff. And, and, and she, um, then she takes her phone. She said, yes, it's blah, 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 blah. She's like, I'm here. And then she starts acting and she's like, I'm being attacked by an African-American man. She starts screaming and screeching and stuff. And, and now apparently already this just happened. I don't know, yesterday or something. And she's had to give up the dog. The dog's not her dog anymore. And I don't know where this is all going, but the, 
where the story is going, but you can look it up. But this, like the big divisions and fears or the little ones that like, if we're willing to operate on them, just how quickly things can descend. But it's the fear and the division that lead to the, to that, you know. And maybe, maybe if she had been on that island with those boys for 13 or 15 months, maybe there would have been some bloodshed. I, or maybe she would have learned to be part of the government. Oh, is there any way that you feel sorry for her now, like a little bit? <laughs> no, no. Okay, I'm not no. saying about. Mm. about I do feel a level of of empathy in in one sense, but I do for the dog. Like the dog has had to live with her for most of its life. You would assume it doesn't anymore. So, oh, it's true. The dog's been set free for now. <laughs> Okay. Well, this has been really good, you guys. Is there any other little bits you had? Any things we should know? I think thinking through, um, you know, all the bad things that people can be accustomed to doing in this time. I don't know if anybody's watched any Some Good News. It's been all over Facebook with John Krasinski. And to me, it highlights the good stuff that's happening in this pandemic time. It's it's nothing about it is spiritual, but he does these little news clips and they're like 15 minutes. And all he does is highlight good things that are happening in the world. Mm. Um, and I like to spoil it for you, Amanda? He sold it to CBS. Yeah. But okay. <laughs> it doesn't matter because he still, did, he still did the series of things that were really yeah. great that had nothing to do with that. So, I mean, whatever. He gained something monetarily at the end of it. I don't really care because <laughs> really it's the stories that he was telling that matter to me. Um, yeah. And they're great and they're absolutely worth watching. So... There you go. And that's what you're seeing a lot. Like you, I mean, just here on the North Shore, like, and there's probably been other groups. It's just a group I'm aware of, has sold something like 350, 400 masks to go out to care homes to be delivered to places where, where you know, and they're just they're just making them. They're not making any money off them. They're just making them. They're doing good things. They're little rocks that have appeared everywhere that just say, you know, hope and smile and oh, you know. We'll get... And rocks. no one picked up a conch to tell them to do these things. It, no, it just happened. It's no. The, even though we talked about it before, but the horn honking and the the yeah. the the, the, the spontaneous dance o'clock. parties that were happening in the one community uh, that apparently got a little out of hand. But uh, again, I think. I think people are in essence are are basically good. They want to be good. Most of our human interactions are positive. The vast majority of them are. And I think that has to say that therefore, for the most part, people are good people. There's all kinds of questions then how we would talk about like our own shortcomings or failures or in religious language, sin. Um, Can we talk about others? um, Like other shortcomings? or, Or yeah, others are our own. And so I just think we don't, have to one doesn't have to exclude the other i think we can we can talk about the goodness of people and right that, that yeah we're pretty messed up too but mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that we're going to descend into chaos at the first uh, possible opportunity so thank you all very much uh, th- thank you ken for uh diabolica yes you're very welcome enjoy Fantastic. continue to enjoy share with people in your household if you want or don't and we look forward to future episodes we look forward to being together to record soon Yes. Hopefully. Mm-hmm. Apparently that will. Well, I don't know. Will we have to have like a one of those six feet poles with a microphone on the end? You know how pool noodles. If I was, <laughs> I was, I was going to get some plexiglass and put it on a table so four of us can be in a. Yeah. That's not a bad idea. Yeah. As a reporter, I would do like a double length pole, just to make it like look better.
I'm 12 feet away. Thank you very much. Thanks. Have a lovely evening. Good night.